Man, you think I love talking old wrestling? Well, the only thing I love more than that is helping people save money. But now, thanks to SaveWithConrad.com and this podcast, I can help my fellow wrestling fans save some cash, and we get to talk old wrestling along the way. Just ask Mr. Myers. He just left us a five-star review right there in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, he heard us talking about it here on the show, gave us a shot over at SaveWithConrad.com, then he gave us this five-star review. Everything went well and was done ahead of schedule to make an easy purchase. Well, my man, it sounds like congratulations are in order. Congratulations on your new house. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and thanks for checking out SaveWithConrad.com. Let's keep the good news going over to Wisconsin, where Mr. Hansen writes, I couldn't have asked for a better experience than the one we had working with Jimmy. He made what could have been a stressful process incredibly easy. He answered all of our questions immediately, and he got us a fantastic deal. I cannot recommend refinancing through First Family Mortgage enough. Save with Conrad to the rescue, sounds like, boys and girls. Another five-star review. Thank you very much for that, Tim. We also want to keep this good news train going. How about Utica, Mississippi? Friend of the show, Super Dave, writes, Conrad went out of his way to save me money. Congratulations, Super Dave. I saw you write on Twitter that you're going to save more than $100,000 thanks to SaveWithConrad.com. Can't thank you enough for your faith and confidence. What about up in DeSoto, Missouri? Ellen would write, everyone involved in the transaction from start to finish was very helpful. Every question I had was answered five stars. And when it came to her likelihood of referring us in the future, on a scale of one to 10, she gave us a 10. Uh, And so did uh, Mr. Christopher over in Missouri. He was writing, we were able to knock seven years off of our loan. Jimmy made everything easy. Five stars. Man, there's good news coast to coast at SaveWithConrad.com. And there can be great news for you right now if you go get a quick quote. You see, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And whether you're stuck in an apartment and feel like you're a part of that lease life forever, do what some of our listeners are do and make a decision to get out of that apartment today. Don't believe what you're seeing on TV. You don't have to put 20% down and have an 800 credit score. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get out of their apartments and into new homes. And they're doing it with little to no money out of pocket. And oh, by the way, all the way down to credit scores in the 500s. But here is some perhaps even better news. If you're a homeowner right now, what about a little summer vacation from house payments? You won't have to make your June or your July payment. You're done until August 1st. And come August 1st, you're going to have a better mortgage. We're going to show you how to take advantage of these once in a lifetime rates and use it to almost hit the reset button on your financial outlook. We want to help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that. You know, the interest is outrageous. It's eating you alive. Let's get a fresh start. Let's knock it out. Show you how to skip a couple of house payments. Maybe take the family on a vacation, but come August, man, we're going to get serious about getting out of debt. We're going to cut years off of your loan. We have routinely helped our listeners say five, six, seven, 800 bucks a month. But in the process, we also show them how to pay their house off faster. You heard super Dave, even saving more than a hundred thousand dollars. Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And man, if I can't help you save some money, I won't waste your time. Seriously, check it out. Savewithconrad.com. The reviews are in and five stars, baby. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and I should mention there's more than one way to get a hold of us. You can even talk to a live person. Just click the live chat button in the bottom right-hand corner at savewithconrad.com. Or if you're old school like me, man, just give us a call and we'll even pick up the tab. It's toll-free at 888-425-0105 or shoot me an email it's conrad at savewithconrad.com but if you do send me an email be sure to include your name 
especially if you have a gimmick email and your phone number and uh, i'll hit you up man let's save some money let's save with conrad.com welcome to something to wrestle with well you know that's not a rib she pooted there's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck you, Bruce. God damn, kid. God damn it. What the hell show you got there? I need more. Ooh, yeah. What say you? Pronouns, pal. And now, something to wrestle with. Con Bruce Pritchard. He the second most recognized athlete in the entire world today. Conrad Olsen. What happened when? Huh? What would Vince say about that? Well, hey, Vince. Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Oh, well, you know what, Conrad? It is an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous day outside. The sun is shining, but I'm freezing my ass off. Uh, Other than that, just uh, a box of fluffy ducks. Well, we need to apologize to everybody. We missed last week. Uh, You have been, uh, is the the right word busy? How would you describe your schedule the last, I don't know, three or four months? Consumed. Okay, there you go. He was all used up last week. And, uh, instead we hit you with some bonus action from adfreeshows.com. We do still plan to cover the very first in your house. Bear with us. We will circle back around and it'll just magically pop up in your feed one day as a nice little bonus treat. But today our subject is judgment day, 2005. And we're covering this because it went down on May 22nd. That's right. Today is the 15 year anniversary of judgment day. Oh, five. It happened in the target center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which incidentally was also the home of SummerSlam 99. Now this show in particular drew 9,500 fans for roughly a half a million dollar gate. It picks up another 220,000 buys on pay-per-view for roughly $21.6 million in revenue. I bring this up, Bruce, because obviously the WWE has pivoted away from the traditional pay-per-view model. Although the pay-per-views are still available through major providers like direct TV and whatnot. Uh, but the idea was, Hey, let's put it all on the network. And we know how that's worked out. Obviously the company's reached huge heights with this model and television rights and the business just continues to evolve. But here in 05, uh, no matter how you slice it, $21 million in pay-per-view revenue, pretty damn substantial. Wouldn't you agree? I definitely would agree. I think that that's one of those, uh, you can't sneeze at or what, what the hell those Southern saying? Can't shake a stick at it. There you go. So, yes, yeah, so I, I think that, you know, during this time, we're still 
the pay-per-view model, that's it because people are getting direct TV DVR has now become a thing, not as prevalent as it is today, but a lot of cable companies are saying D and direct TV. Oh my God, you can watch something and rewind it. You know, um, believe it or not, 2005, that was still kind of a new thing. And pay-per-view was still, that was an incredible moneymaker. Yeah. And and just the pay-per-view model, you know, has evolved so much. I mean, when you first come into the company, pay-per-view is not even really a thing. And then when it gets going, it becomes a deal where if you want pay-per-view, you've got to go down to the cable system and get the little box or the little adapter to put on the back of your TV. And then fast forward and uh, eventually you can just make a call and then you call in and get it. But then eventually it becomes a thing where you just hit a button on your remote. And that was a revolutionary deal at the time. And you're exactly right. This is the era where TiVo and DVRs became much more popular. Uh, we should mention though, this show happens in Minnesota, the old AWA stomping grounds. It doesn't feel like sort of post AWA Minnesota was exactly a hotbed for WWE. They certainly still ran shows and did stuff pretty regularly there, but you would think with it being an old stomping ground of a major wrestling territory, it would have been a more frequent stop. Why do you think that was? Well, I think it still was a frequent stop. It was a, it was an annual stop and it was a market that very, very good to wrestling in general. And it was someplace that welcomed the WWE on a regular basis. So while it wasn't six times a year or even 12 times a year, we, we got there three or four times a year and tried to just make it a regular stop. Um, but always profitable, always good, always great audiences because they, they enjoyed, they enjoyed their wrestling, so to speak. Well, no arguing that. And I didn't mean to say that they didn't go at all. It just doesn't feel like, especially since it used to be a big hotbed that we hear about it being, uh, I don't know, as prevalent of a, of a spot for you guys as maybe a Chicago or a New York or even a Boston. Well, again, I, to us, we looked at any market that we ran more than four times a year, pretty damn prevalent. And, and it was, it was still viewed as a regular, you know, an annual stop. So doing it four times a year, that was a big deal. Yeah. I mean, listen, you guys were, def- I mean, you ran raw there that year. And, and as we said, you know, we've got a big pay-per-view here. No argument. It just feels like to me, when I think of a quote unquote wrestling town, I don't think people talk about Minneapolis maybe as much as I might imagine. Let's talk about yeah, because, because like you said, though, Chicago for the Minneapolis office was a more important, bigger market to Minneapolis. Right. So they, they looked at the Chicago's, they looked at Denver's, they looked at San Francisco even as bigger than their, their home market. And, uh, you know, many was a good market. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, when you think about it from like uh, a Jim Crockett standpoint, you know, their office is in Charlotte, but they consider their big town Greensboro. So. I guess that makes sense. Let's talk about where we are in the weeks leading up to this. We start to see something we'd never seen before JBL getting the old main event push. He's going to challenge the WWE champion for, uh, the world title here in this event. We've done a show on JBL in the past. You can check that out in the archives, but this is definitely a new era. And that's going to be sort of the theme of the show we're covering today. I do want to mention that, uh, around this time. Uh, April 28th, 2005, we lost Chris Candido. He, uh, suffered an ankle injury during a TNA match and 
winds up having surgery. Unfortunately, he developed a blood clot, which cost him his life. He flew home and that was, that was it for Mr. Candido. Uh, of course, he's most notable, uh, at least inside the WWE for his run as skip where he teamed with your old brother, uh, zip of course, Dr. Tom Pritchard, Chris Candido, man, what a, what a bright spot in wrestling. I absolutely loved watching his stuff in ECW and I'm sure you had seen his stuff before and after his WWF run. What can you tell us about Chris Candido and, and how did you hear the news that man, you lost a guy way too young to a blood clot of all things. Yeah. Chris Candido was, I think a lot of people would agree underrated and I used to like to make fun of Chris just because of how overhyped he was a lot of times, but never, you know, uh, didn't see the potential and the talent and just the pure passion that Chris Candido had for this business. If there was anyone who loved, lived, ate, slept the wrestling business, it was Candido. And he was passionate about it, loved it and put every single thing into it. And it's just a damn shame. Anyone uh, losing their life at that young of an age and someone that had devoted their life to the business to because of uh, just a terrible medical mishap per, per se that he got on a plane too quick and probably caused that blood clot. But, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But regardless, it's just absolutely sucked and I think that he could have been a, a hell of a mind in the business for the future because he always was thinking about it he he studied the past but he looked to the future so in that regard you know Chris was Chris was a, an, an old soul and a young body in a lot of respects and uh, I think my brother will take exception to you calling him old comrade. <laughs> um, and yes, he is older than me, but God damn it. I'm a kid. And I mean, hell, he's still running his JPWA wrestling school and, and teach people the right way and the fundamentals in, in the wrestling business, which going back to Chris, that's kind of his foundation was the fundamentals of the wrestling business. That was a ass backwards way to, plug Tom's wrestling school in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, yeah. Give everybody the, uh, the full name of his wrestling school, because I know he's partnered up with the former Kane, of course, Glenn Jacobs, the mayor there, and they've got quite the facility and the thing going on. Yeah. It's a GPWA, the, the Jacobs Pritchard wrestling Academy and they're in Knoxville, Tennessee. And you can, uh, find out everything you need to know about them online, JPWA wrestling and, uh, dot com. But, yeah, they're busting their ass and had some pretty good classes. And through all this craziness, they're going to be starting up again here very soon and teach people to wrestle because that's what we need in this world. We need more people that know the right way to do things. Just real quick, uh, has Tom Pritchard trained anybody of note? I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Um, there's been a few. There's There was this guy that came through little potential, uh, the rock is what he called himself. Um, Dwayne Johnson. Um, there was this old, older gentleman that he trained Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon. Um, one of the guys did something 
in the Olympics. Um, Kurt, Kurt Angle, I think he got a gold buckle or something uh, in the Olympics. Um, <laughs> other Olympian, Mark Henry. and Some of these names much. are ringing a bell, I think. Are they? Yeah. Are they? Well, well, Tom had them when they, you know, were taking their first step in wrestling ring and teaching them all the fundamentals and some of them made it. Yeah. Check it out if you haven't already, but real quick, I do want to know, you know, when you talk about just how precious life should be here, we lose Chris Candido at just 33 years old. I mean, that's just so young and such a sad situation. And of course it's not topical in 2005, but I feel like, you know, since we're sort of headed down this road, we should acknowledge that one of the more tragic losses in wrestling happened this past week. What can you tell us about Shad that, that maybe we didn't already know? Well, Shad Gaspard, um, probably most famously known as half of the tag team crime time with uh, JTG lost his life this, this past week and the, the tragedy a in losing a, a gentleman and a friend at such an early age. Um, Chad was out with his family in California, Marina del Rey, I believe. And they had gone to the beach. The beaches had just opened. Chad and his family were there having a, a good day on the beach, took his 10 year old son out into the water to swim and everything was, was good. And a riptide, uh, was, uh, took him out, you know, and the, the lifeguards and eyewitnesses saw the, this riptide take a group of people out and Chad and his son were part of that. But the, the lifeguard that swam out, one of the lifeguards that swam out to save him got to Chad first and, and Chad, uh, told him go help my son first. And the lifeguard looked over and saw his son there and, and grabbed his son and brought him into safety. And as he turned around and looked, uh, saw a giant wave come and, and take Chad under and he didn't resurface and they, um, found Chad's body a couple days later, but it's, you know, he's, he's a hero for saving his son. Um, a damn good man. And he was doing the acting thing in LA. He came to one of our shows out in LA it was the last time that I saw him. And, um, just shocking. It's, it's one of those that, you know, a guy who's not a, no bad habits, just a hard worker who was trying to get ahead in life and, and teach his son right from wrong. And he loved his family and boy, did he love his son. Um, and living his dream in many, many ways and taken from us way, way too soon. And Chad Gaspar, Godspeed. Yeah, listen, this is one of those times where you normally say thoughts and prayers, and certainly our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family, but just seriously, one of the most tragic stories perhaps in the history of wrestling, and I'm hopeful that uh, we as sort of a little wrestling family will rally together and, and, and find a way to 
help the family as much as we can, because this is, I mean, dude's only 39 years old and God, what a story. Yeah. It's just horrible, horrible tragedy. Well, let's try to, uh, let's try to talk about 2005. Uh, Wade Keller would report that there were some changes within the WWE creative team this past week. Brian Gerwitz, the, or Gewirtz, as you like me to say, uh, the, no, I like you say Gerwitz. It's Gewirtz, yeah. but we, we like Gerwitz. Yeah. We like to put the R ahead of the W, even though it's yeah. at the end. Well, either way, at this point, he's the senior writer for the WWE creative staff, and he's taking a leave of absence to go work on a script and a movie for WWE studios. And Brian had worked closely with Vince and Stephanie for raw, and he had done some oversight for SmackDown. And he said to be in great standing with management and the company, but, uh, this was a chance for him to sort of take a breather from the week to week grind of writing TV and now work on a movie project. And. Wade would say by all accounts, Brian is loved by the McMahons due to his dedication, accessibility, and long hours fulfilling the McMahon's vision for raw and SmackDown each week. Also without making waves or contradicting other concepts too often. So do you remember this era where, where Brian was perhaps burned out? Did he ask for a chance to do something else or did Vince recognize, man, he's uh, been in the pressure cooker long enough. Let's, let's give him a minute or two. I don't know if Brian was necessarily burnt out as much as he wanted to do other things. And he wanted to take some time to focus on a movie that he was working on for WWE studios. That's a difficult thing to do when you're trying to write two hours of brand new television, live television every week as well. So he just needed some time to get away from that grind every day and focus on a movie and be able to give that 100% so that he could actually finish it and deliver it to the studio. And that's what he did. he was able to, to do that and come on back and help us a little bit later. But even during that time, we still would ping the brain a little bit to just bring him back to real life sometimes as well. Hey, got a quick question for you. Are you paying more money in interest than you need to on your credit cards? Refinance your debt today with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. You can quickly roll balances from multiple credit cards into a single monthly payment, and you can get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay, which is much lower than the national average of credit card rates of over 19% APR. Plus there's absolutely no fees. The application is quick and easy, and it's 100% online. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they deliver. And I have bragged about this for a long time. I had one of my best loan experiences I've ever had at lightstream.com. I was looking to get a new car, wanted to negotiate like a cash buyer, found the car I wanted, and then I got the best loan I ever had from lightstream.com. They overnighted me the check. Boom. I was ready to go. But you don't have to take my word for it when it comes to credit card consolidation loans. Check out these testimonials. I heard about Lightstream on a podcast and was able to look on the website and get clear information. The application process was quick and easy. Here's another. Heard a commercial, checked into a consolidation loan, and just a few hours later had my approval and funds were ready to be transferred. Just awesome. Apply today and get a special interest rate discount and save even more. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle. 
That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash wrestle. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes a half a percent auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. Let's, uh, let's not worry too much about Brian taking a leave of absence because the Calvary's here, ladies and gentlemen, Larry Mullen. He's the latest addition to the WWE writing team. Uh, he's been writing TV since 77. You remember his work on chips, Knight Rider, Beverly Hills, Nano two one Oh leap years. Uh, he's also a pre- appeared on E true Hollywood story. What can you tell us about Larry? Absolutely nothing. I never fucking met the dude. Um, the only thing I, I can tell you about this guy is that apparently, uh, he had like really strange fingers and kind of looked like lurch from the Adams family. But Larry was there for such a short time that I don't think I ever met the man because he stayed in the office. He didn't come out on the road. And that was during like a three week period that I was always only out on the road and I didn't come into the office. So I was the reverse. Um, it didn't have bony fingers. So yeah, the guy came in and, and was gone just as quick as, as I remember, I probably talked to him maybe three or four times on the phone in a conference call. Other than that, couldn't tell you one thing about him. There were a few people that came in during that time that, you know, come in for a cup of coffee and be gone. What was your never f- to be heard from again? What was your favorite angle or storyline that Larry booked for y'all? Uh, the one with, uh, uh, Gomez Adams. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Cousin it. Remember mm-hmm. when undertaker was wearing his hair all down in front of his face? Yes. That was going to be the cut. Co- we called that the cousin it. Hmm time frame. So yeah, that's what he was. He was brought in specifically for that because it was going to be a whole thing with, with thing, the hand and the things finished was the claw. And he was going to snatch cousin it. And then we were going to bring that to life with, uh, that fucking guy in the, the AWA that burst through the wall that time, the master blaster and work a work program with cousin it taker cousin it taker. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about something else that makes the uh, torch. John Laurinaitis is uh, no fan of Jim Cornette and hasn't been for a while. Cornette gave Laurinaitis the excuse. He needed to suspend him for five days from any involvement with Ohio Valley wrestling. Um, WWE's developmental territory affiliate at the time, of course, is OVW. And there's speculation that Cornette won't be brought back, but that depends on a number of factors. At this point, the booking and TV writing duties have been taken over by Tommy dreamer, and he has not been told to change things too much from the direction Cornette set. Cornette has a well-earned reputation for being a hothead and not paying the political game with the WWE front office very well. There have been numerous times over the years that political forces within WWE were so anti OVW or anti Jim Cornette, that there was consideration given to just pulling the plug on the affiliation altogether pro Cornette and pro OVW forces convinced Vince McMahon to stay the course at the May 4th TV tapings and a dark match. Kevin Furtig, AKA Mordecai wore a baseball cap to the ring for a tag match where he teamed with Daniel pewter against Kenzo Suzuki and El Diablo Negro. 
the uh, Ken Doan. Uh, during the match, Cornette noticed that Ferdig was wearing the cap backwards on his head and backstage. Cornette said it looked stupid and sent word for him to take it off. Ferdig did. But then during the match, Ferdig took a sombrero from a fan and wore that perhaps as a way to get under Cornette's skin. It worked. As Cornette blew up backstage afterwards, chewing him out. Cornette has a history of blowing his temper and threatening people, including after a recent Dudley's match in OVW, where they put Jillian Hall through a table. He was upset because he considers a woman being driven through a table, the type of stuff that would require her to be off TV and injured for weeks, if not months to properly sell it. He didn't confront the Dudleys himself, but he was upset about it happening. Al snow will be taking over on commentary for the TV shows and dreamer with the assistance from Lance storm. will be scripting the TV shows. Do you remember this? How on the money is Wade Keller with his report? And what can you tell us about Cornette and OVW and maybe how he didn't see things the way John Laurinaitis did? No, I don't remember the specific hat incident. However, I think there was a lot building at OVW with a difference in philosophy as far as what we were looking for and what Jim was looking for. OVW was there as a developmental territory to take the talent that we felt had potential to train them and bring them up, get them ready so that they could step onto television in the WWE and be ready to go. And I think that OVW did an excellent job at doing just that. And to that, you know, the trainers, Danny Davis, Jim Cornette, I think everyone that was involved there played a huge part in providing pieces of the wrestling business. And to me, I thought that that was an essential part of learning. You know, you learn the good, you learn what to do, you learn what not to do. And some guys had great advice and in their great advice may have been negative nuggets. You move the negative nuggets over into another compartment and you take the positive and build on that. So I I think that there were some negative nuggets maybe that were going on there. Those of us who had experienced OVW had worked with Cornette and Danny and Al snow and the guys that were there. We knew how valuable that OVW was to the future of our business and, and the development of, of future talent. So yeah, we, we probably all were trying to downplay it. And I think that corny just, uh, my way or the highway type thing. And unfortunately it became the highway for corny. Um, but I, as far as OVW went, I was always a big, huge supporter because it was imperative for the future of our business. In my opinion, is it, uh, I mean, can it simply be said that Johnny Ace was a better, um, fit in the corporate world than Jim Cornette? Repeat that question. Johnny Ace is more, you know, I've only met him a handful of times, but the rap we hear about him or read about him as fans is he's more of the, the, the corporate type. 
uh, he's, um, the suit and tie and filling out reports and yes, sir, no, sir. And whatnot. And corny is a little more, um, sort of old school wrestling. Fair to say. Very fair to say. Yes, absolutely. And that just comes down to, we make choices in life and you, you can choose to get along or not get along. John chose a, a path to get along and was very good at his job and a very thankless job. And you have, you have rules in society, whether you choose to live by those rules is your choice. Cause we all have choices. So, I'm not a big fan of wearing a tie every day, but when I go into the office, I do because that's the dress code. And I've chosen to go back to a place where by God, it's, it's required that you wear a tie in the office. It's not even necessarily required, but it's the right thing to do. So I wear a tie and John Moronitis um, is a good businessman. And John was looking after the business and looking after the company. And Jim was, was interested in, in wrestling the way it used to be and the way you like it by God. Well, is it really about just the way wrestling used to be or how much is it just the corporate culture that changed? I guess is what I'm trying to drive at. Do you think Corny's sort of downfall in WWE, if that's the right phrasing is his inability to assimilate to the, the corporate lifestyle and presentation from an office standpoint that, that Vince was now looking for. I mean, when did that change once upon a time, you know, it was not as quote unquote stuffy. Uh, and then there is an adjustment. Uh, you know, we, we've heard about it over the years from a performer standpoint, you guys started to have a dress code for when, for when the talent was traveling and things like that. Did that all start to change once the company went public? Before, during, after, when do you remember there being a bit of a paradigm shift about the way the business is done behind the scenes? Vince said that, and Vince said that going back as early as 1983. And Vince wanted to upgrade the product and be able to present the product in a different way than the guy, the old promoter sitting there smoking a cigar in the back uh, with his shirt unbuttoned down to his belly. Vince wanted to present everything in a different way and be more professional. So part of that was how you look. Like they always say, don't dress for the job you have, dress for the job that you want. And in Vince's mind, Vince wants to present a classy and wants to present a uniform, almost not uniform look because good Lord, it's not that with some of the things that people wear, but it, it just wants to be respectable and show you know, have some respect for yourself and your job and the people that you work with. So to that degree, um, yeah, see, he asked us to dress and I don't think that's asking a whole lot. Uh, I'm not crazy about it. Never have been ever, but I do it. Okay. Bruce, let's talk about something else. That's changing. This comes to us from the torch again, Wade is saying that, uh, the wrestlers who have been enjoying business or first class seats, whenever they had to fly overseas, they're now going back to coach 
He would say it's purely a budget cutback at a time when WWE is touting publicly the massive success of its recent all sold out tour in Europe and a profitable trip in Australia. Wrestlers, needless to say, aren't thrilled with the move and point out the hypocrisy of talent relations director, Johnny Ace, forcing wrestlers to dress and act like businessmen because of the image it projects to those who see them outside of the arena and in airports. But now they have to fly them coach on long flights. Quote, John should know better because he was a wrestler who took these killer long flights back when he worked in Japan. But here he goes now asking us to cram ourselves into a coach seat for a 12 hour flight after wrestling five straight days. Everyone is going to find a way to be sure WWE pays for this in other ways. This is a morale buster that tells everyone here. They care more about their stockholders than treating us like professionals. And another wrestler told Wade. You just don't trim that area of the budget. You take care of your guys. What do you remember about this decision and, and maybe the backlash from it? Well, I wasn't a part of that decision. However, I doubt that anybody was taking 12 hour flights in coach. Um, that's probably an exaggeration or, and, or, uh, just somebody spouting off or bitching to Meltzer or Keller or somebody like that. Uh, because good Lord at the time, definitely they were going in business class. If they went to South Africa, which would be probably about the only 12 or 18 hour flight you're going to have. Um, however, uh, internationally on some of those flights, it, it became where a guy's flying cross country. They're flying in coach from LA to New York. And then you're flying from coach in a shorter flight from New York to London um, I think the rationale was used that, Hey, it, it's sometimes it's shorter, but the distance isn't any different. So for a time, and it didn't last long, but there was a time that they looked at business. Is it more economically viable to fly everyone coach versus a business class seat? And that decision was made for a little while, uh, didn't last long to my knowledge, but that was the rationale behind it. And it made sense. Again, they, it's funny the the same people weren't complaining about going cross country. Maybe they were, but, uh, going across country on a six hour flight or a seven hour flight. But if I go to the UK on a five hour flight, I should be in business. Again, it, it's, it's apples and pomegranates. Were you excited to see some Chinese pro wrestling when AEW announced that they would be featuring Chinese wrestlers on their program? Well, you can watch Chinese pro wrestling right now by checking out Middle Kingdom Wrestling. That's MKW. MKW is the top pro wrestling organization in China today. It's a unique pro wrestling company with Chinese characteristics. It features one of the most internationally diverse rosters in wrestling today from nearly 30 countries so far. MKW has showcased, developed, and promoted wrestling in other countries like Nepal, Vietnam, Thailand, South Korea, with a more particular focus on countries that are a part of China's One Belt, One Road initiative. MKW live broadcasts in China consistently attract millions of fans, even often reaching 10 million concurrent viewers. Before the COVID-19 pandemic hit, MKW was on track to host the first ever all-women's wrestling tournament in China, and they were also planning a Malaysian wrestling tour in the first half of 2020. These plans are still intact once it's safe to return again. 
MKW prides itself on cultivating the development of pro wrestling in China and in countries where wrestling is still underdeveloped or not quite widely known yet. By joining the MKW fan community, you too are helping pro wrestling develop around the world. Find out more at middlekingdomwrestling.com or just look for Middle Kingdom Wrestling on YouTube or Facebook. It's also MKW China on Instagram and MKW Wrestling on Twitter. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Let's move on. Let's talk about a major move that's happening with television. Wade would report that UPN is going to be moving SmackDown from Thursdays to Fridays in the fall. And he would say this is a move that blindsides WWE. UPN announced it, uh, the prior week that it would be making the move. And of course, Friday is considered a weaker night because overall viewership is down for television. Quote, WWE, though, may be the type of product that has a loyal enough following that its viewers will find it and still watch no matter what night it's on. Another upside is that SmackDown will no longer be head-to-head with some of the toughest primetime programming competition out there on Thursdays, including CSI, The Apprentice, The OC, and Will and Grace. UPN shifting SmackDown to Friday and replacing it with a block of half-hour comedies starring Chris Rock, including Everybody Hates Chris, Shannon Doherty's Love, Inc., and uh, Denise Richards. There's some speculation that Vince McMahon may adjust his plans for the draft, which is a well-guarded secret amongst a small inner circle at this point. Reportedly, even Kurt Angle doesn't know where he'll wind up. And McMahon may choose to shift some of the bigger names towards SmackDown to strengthen the show, but he also wants to impress USA Network with strong ratings, so he's being pulled in two different directions here. Another potential problem is that SmackDown will face more preemptions for local sports games on Friday nights, because Friday is such a weak night for network TV. Many SmackDown affiliates have agreements with local sports teams to air their games on Friday nights. That includes baseball games in New York, LA, Boston, and Philadelphia. And SmackDown had already faced preemptions in many markets due to local sports, but it's going to face more on Fridays than on Thursdays, man, Bruce, this can't be good news. I know as wrestling fans these days, we can just DVR it and and while DVR is becoming more popular and more common here in 05, a lot of folks have to be in front of their TV to watch this thing. Unless, you know, they're still trying to use a fucking VCR in 05. Chat me up here though. Is this as doom and gloom as it sounds? I mean, we've always heard that Friday sort of the weakest night on television, because you assume that people are going to be at a sports game or out to dinner or at a bar or traveling for the weekend, but on Thursday nights, well, they got to go to work Friday so that you get, you have more of a captive audience. Was Friday a major concern? Well, yes. And the, the biggest concern was not only preemptions and any time that you change the day that your program is on people have to find you uh people are creatures of habit so they're used to their wrestling on monday night or thursday night that's the night that they're used to the wrestling and that's where they go to get their programming now you move me and i go there on thursday night you're not there anymore now i gotta find you and that takes a little bit of time and you need that time to get people back into the habit and they need to get back into their course. And if you're moving it to a place where 
more often than before that it's going to be preempted. And now I'm, I'm comfortable on Friday night, but I go to a Friday night and, oh, shit, there's a fucking baseball game on. Um, after a while, I'm going to get out of the habit. So there was concern to that. And people don't like change. I don't like change. Friday night, traditionally being one of the lower uh, rated nights for people using television. Yeah, it's tough. And not, not something you can overcome immediately. It takes six months to a year to build your audience back up. And in that time frame, if you've got these preemptions in there, it becomes doubly as hard. So not, not something that we were really crazy about. However, at the same time, you embrace it and you make the very best of it that you possibly can and show them, okay, we'll, we'll do what we need to do on Friday nights. Before we talk about the pay-per-view, I do want to mention that the very next day is the May 23rd raw, of course, and this is SmackDown pay-per-view what we're covering. But of course the day after on raw is where we have the pretty historic in-ring confrontation with Paul Heyman, Eric Bischoff and Vince is in the ring too. Of course, we're doing this to promote ECW's one night stand. Bischoff is saying that he's going to have a funeral for it. He brings out uh, a wreath and sets it on fire, the whole deal, but it's a pretty monumental moment to have all three of those guys in the ring at the same time. And it gets a lot of people talking. What do you remember about that? in-ring promo between uh Pritchard your Pritchard between McMahon uh Bischoff and uh and Heyman well I think to the internet crowd and the dirt sheet crowd yeah big monumental moment we made it out of, of what it absolutely was um but it was Vince in, in our storyline he had Heyman on Smackdown and Bischoff on Raw and put all these combustible elements together. I thought that it was good. Frankly, I thought it was great, uh, riveting television. And it's one of those that when you go back, you always like to stop. If you're ever going back and watching certain things and that comes up, trust me, it's worth stopping and watching it because it was fun. It was a lot of inside stuff, but it wasn't so inside that the casual viewer that didn't know all of the back history wouldn't get. And it was antagonistic. It just felt good. So that's one I would highly recommend. Again, you go back and take a look at it. It was, it was fun because there was reality sprinkled in there and people go, Oh, they didn't say that. And to me, it worked. A couple other news and notes before we get to, uh, the pay-per-view itself. Uh, one of which really stuck out to me. Uh, this is from Wade Keller, Vince McMahon, the Vince McMahon's usage of a private jet was scrutinized in the wall street journal article last week. Quote, there's the tiny world wrestling entertainment, which last year started allowing its CEO, Vince McMahon to take personal trips on its $20 million company jet for his quote unquote, personal safety. Uh, he would say in McMahon's defense of having the plane in general, he does hold booking meetings between raw and SmackDown and others within his inner circle and is doing such on commercial flights. That would be very difficult. His time giving his tight schedule on consecutive days, holding TV and pay-per-view events is extremely valuable. 
So avoiding the time standing in line at the airport seems reasonable. That doesn't excuse it for personal reasons at the expense of stockholders though, which is basically the gist of the article quote, these people most able to afford it themselves. So why are the stockholders subsidizing their leisure time? And the article notes that many other companies larger than WWE do not allow its CEO, the use of the company plane for private trips. Most company CEOs are also not known as publicly as McMahon. So quote unquote security may be a defensible issue. It is the same reason used by other CEOs, but none of those are nearly as well known publicly as Vince. What do you make of this? I don't know. This sort of jumped out to me. Like who cares? I mean, what's well, the, but it's also someone making, uh, something out of absolutely nothing. And well, that's my point. What like, Vince used the jet for was to go to work. Right. And that was, that's the gist of this, I guess, is as hardcore wrestling fans listening to this, who amongst us has heard about Vince's famous vacations? Crickets. That shit doesn't yeah. happen. The motherfucker wakes up, goes to work and then takes a 12 minute vampire nap and he's back to work again. Like there's no chance that this guy is going to fucking Turks and Caicos every weekend. I know that because I'm trying to chase your ass down to record a podcast and you're, you're not suntan, my friend. No, I am not. And it's, yeah, that to me, that is one of the most ludicrous things because again, from the standpoint of Vince doesn't take vacations and he's taking the jet to work right? and he fills the jet up with people, guess what you get to do on the plane work, work. Oh, and you get picked up in limousines. Guess what you do in the limousine ride from the plane to the building work. There you go. So it's, uh, I can, I can guarantee you if you were to poll the people that are on the plane who would rather be on a commercial airline and be getting themselves to and from TV and hotels and what have you, that they would probably prefer to be on a commercial flight where they could kind of get away from everything for a minute. But uh, the corporate jet was and still is used to work to maximize your time. And frankly, you know, don't talk about what's going on in my life and everything today, but I will say this, that the reason I moved to Connecticut was to be able to utilize that perk so that I could see my family. <laughs> hey, let's mention that because when back before you'd made the move and you were in Houston, just run down what your weekly schedule was like. So our listeners will maybe have a little more appreciation for how difficult it was for you and I to find time to record. Well, I would, on a normal week, I would leave on a, um, on a Monday and return on a Wednesday. And then you would go right into meetings. that would last till three or four o'clock in the morning on Wednesday and Thursday. Then you would go, uh, actually Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Well, hang on and now. Then, you said I would leave. What you mean is you would leave your house. I'd leave my house at say 12 o'clock in the 
afternoon on a Sunday to fly into the town on Sunday night. I'd do TV on Monday and Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, I would fly back home. And as soon as you're back home, you're hitting the ground running and you're in constant meetings. And then from there, you meet all the way. And that includes Saturday. I got out of Sunday meetings most of the time because I was traveling. Okay, Bruce, we need to take a time out right here to tell everybody how to get their dick real, real hard. We're talking about bluechew.com. Of course, they're our tag team partner. That's blue like the color blue. And Blue Chew brings you the world's first chewable. And it's got the same FDA-approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. So you know it works. You can take this stuff anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they can work up to twice as fast. So you're ready whenever you need to be ready. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for anybody who wants a little, uh, a little boost, a little confidence boost to enhance their performance. Check out bluechew.com. Bluechew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So you skip the in-person doctor's visit. You skip waiting in line at the pharmacy and there's no awkwardness. Uh, they're made right here in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code WRESTLE. All you need to do is pay $5 shipping. Once again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, BlueChew.com, and the promo code is WRESTLE. I want to reiterate here, you're trying it for free, so why wouldn't you? Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we can't thank them enough for sponsoring the podcast. BlueChew.com. Promo code WRESTLE. Try it today. You'd be glad you did. I'm talking about the times where, because there was a stint there for a couple of months where you wouldn't fly home on Wednesday. You would fly to Connecticut and stay in the hotel and still go to the office on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Fly home on Saturday spend time with the family, repack, record with me. And then on Sunday at noon, you're back out again. So you had Saturday afternoon and evening and Sunday morning at home. And then the rest of the time living out of a hotel and connect. So when you were like, Hey, I think I'm going to move to Connecticut. I'm like, well, fucking a yeah. Because now the difference is when you guys have to go to TV, you hop on the jet with Vince and you're home and sleep in your own bed every night. Yes. Now, of course, the, you the down, you know, but you know why? Because you have a 1 a.m. meeting at the office. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we, we go from, uh, yeah, we go from a meeting on Thursday night and, and go home and writer's assistants put everything together so that we have it on the plane to go over on Friday. Yes, I'm, I'm there and back, but the lure for me is I get to sleep in my own bed. And wave, I, wave at your wife in the morning. That yeah. Type of deal. Yeah. But at least I get to see them now. Well, my favorite thing that's happened recently with you and I, is I sent you like a picture of a cocktail, at like 1130 at night. And then you sent back a selfie and you were still at the office. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And you're like, I'm waiting on my nine o'clock meeting to start. It's 1130 my time, which is 1230 your time. And you're like, I'm waiting on my nine o'clock to start. So your nine o'clock is going to start at 1 a.m. And, uh, if you're lucky, if, <laughs> and then when you, when, when the meeting adjourns at 5 AM, everybody, well, you are expected to be back in the office at 8 AM. So run home, get a little cat nap, see you in a couple hours. 
This ding, is, ding, ding. This is where we are. The wrestling business. Be careful what you ask for. Yeah. And then I'll send you, I have a window. <laughs> yes. Okay. I've got an hour and a half here. Now that's here's my window. Yeah. We started recording this show this morning at 6 a.m. So that's where our window is. But damn it, we're doing our best for you. Sorry about missing in your house last week, but this is where we are. And, and by the way, things have not exactly gotten easier in a pandemic where a lot of folks can't come into the office, but God damn it. Now you live in Stanford. You're right there. So yeah, there you go. Well, not only that. And, and again, it, it's for all the right reasons. You know, there's no one in the office. However, uh, my team comes in and my team is, is a small team, but it, it's, we socially distance. We do all the right things and it's, gets me out of the house. Now I want out of the house, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the best was different. So that's why I laugh when someone talks about, Oh, Vince is doing something for his personal motherfucker. I <laughs> wish he would do more personal <laughs> shit. <laughs> I could take a break. Yeah. I mean, he deserves it. Uh, so that's laughable to think that Vince is going on these Bahama vacations, taking no. a corporate jet somewhere. That's it's you ask anyone that, that knows back in 2005 was Vince just taking off and going on vacation or going on personal trips is ludicrous. Yeah. And to bring that up and then when they find out how stupid that those people must feel. They, they must feel like dirt sheet writers every fucking week when they realize the stupid things that they write and say and that come out of their mouth. Um, you know, I had to get something in here. Uh, yeah, that's just ludicrous. Do you remember ludicrous? Do you remember the 1989 movie Batman with, with uh, Michael Keaton? Goddamn right. Well, there's the scene where Bruce Wayne wants to take Kim Basinger to dinner. So Alfred and the staff cook him up a dinner, but he's got this giant dining room with like 40 seats on either side of the table. And he puts her at one head of the table. And then he's at the other end of the table. And they do a gag about past the salt because it's 40 yards between them or whatever. That to me is what I imagined like you and Ed Kosky and Heyman were doing with Vince during the pandemic, <laughs> it's like, God damn it. We still got to go to work. And it's you guys in that Batman scene, 40 yards away from each other. So everybody's safe, but we got to know what the fuck Otis is doing this Friday. It's just remarkable. The work ethic that, that happens in this company. And then a report like this comes out where it's like, oh, for personal use. I know, like, I know Vince has a yacht and the same sexy bitch or whatever it is. I imagine the hours on that motor are similar to my treadmill. They ain't getting used a lot. <laughs> let's uh let's talk about uh somebody who is coming into the company here wade keller would report former mlw uh, promoter court bauer 27 was hired to be a part of the creative team this month bauer booked and operated major league wrestling in 2003 gaining regional clearance through the sunshine network in florida where his upstart promotion was based his program had a look and feel similar to ecw right down to the announcer joey styles Bauer ran into financial difficulties and shut down in 04. Court Bauer, man, coming in. What can you tell us that you remember about uh, Court in WWE? Um, 
court was, and you know, th- this was during time I wasn't spending a lot of time in the office by any stretch of the imagination. And court was highly touted. Uh, I think he was friends with Dusty, mm-hmm. and had done some some work with Dusty. So court had that in, and court was very tight with the Samoans. But um, you know, it, it was it's a little different when you have your own company and you can make those decisions to try and come in and work with a team on in a different environment on a different product and many, many respects. So it was kind of a little bit fish out of water, but, uh, court was there for, I don't, I don't even know if court was there a year. And again, it's hard for me to judge time on that because I only saw people at TV and I would come in by this point. I was, it stretched my once a month to once every six weeks to (laughs) say, Hey, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you in the fall. Uh, type thing. So I didn't spend a whole lot of time in that office. Uh, it was, mine was all conference calls and, and TV time. So, um, it just court was there for a little while. And I think court did, did travel and did some other things, but, uh, he didn't go on the road a whole lot. So my interaction with him was limited to some conference calls and seeing him every once in a while when I would actually come in the office. Court, by the way, is still promoting MLW. Of course, we hope things get back to normal, but uh, I've enjoyed watching their stuff uh, on YouTube. Uh, I used to watch it on, on TV, but I don't know. I found myself in a rhythm of watching it on YouTube. It's available there, so if you're listening to this internationally, you can still check it out. Have you had a chance to catch, I mean, I know you did some work when he first relaunched MLW, but have you seen any of the more recent stuff before the pandemic hit? I haven't. And it's, I have a hard time seeing all of our stuff. Right. So yeah, no, I haven't. And it's literally one of those that, cause I enjoyed working there and I enjoyed working with that young talent and just doing something different. So they presented a little bit different product and more power to them. Yeah, I dig it. And I recommend it. It's the first place I saw MJF It's the first place I saw, um, Mance Warner. I'm big fans of those guys. I mean, I hate MJF. He's a piece of shit, but I'm saying I like some of the opportunities that court is giving young guys to sort of showcase their skills. And I hope everybody supports what they're doing when things get back to normal. Uh, let's talk about another big name who's going to be, uh, making the news here. Wade would report WWE is also interested in American dragon, Brian Danielson sources believe that WWE's interest will be stronger in signing available free agents. If TNA gets a national TV deal, but if TNA's deal seems to be faltering, then they may hold out to save the money since the wrestlers at that point would have nowhere else to sign for potentially lucrative deals. Of course, at this point, Brian Danielson has become one of the best in the world with ring of honor, but he's not yet Daniel Bryan. He hasn't yet captivated the hearts and minds of wrestling fans worldwide. When was, was Brian Danielson on your radar? Um, uh, just you as a fan. Well, I, good Lord. I, I hired Brian back in, I think 99 or whenever the hell it was. 
when Shawn Michaels had his school in Texas and, and hired Brian and hired Lance Cade, Shooter Saltz, and uh, Brian Kendrick, Spanky. All those guys were part of Shawn's school, and he was hired, and Brian came in, went through the developmental system, and went to Memphis, but the feeling was uh, his size was holding him back at that time and kind of uh, lack of expression. So William Regal got Brian booked all over the world, uh, got him got him to Japan, got him to the UK, and suggested putting a mask on him, calling it the American Dragon. And Brian went out, made a name for himself, and became one of the top talents in, in the in the world and sought after. So to say that uh, we were interested in Daniel, I think there were a there was there was a group of people, and I'll throw Regal into that specifically because William Regal kept an eye on all the international talent, which is why he's so good at what he does now, just scouting. Um, Regal liked to go places. Regal loves the business, and he would always let us know how Brian was doing. And I think Brian had a kinship and loyalship to Shawn Michaels. So, yeah, we were to say we were looking at him. Yes, there, there were some of us that were always looking at him because he was just that talented and waiting for the right time and the right place for maybe someone of a smaller size to come in and maybe use a mask gimmick to help with his personality because he was just very shy at the time and just very reserved. And uh, needless to say, I think he's done all right for himself. Uh, yeah. One more piece of uh, news before we get to the pay-per-view former WWE announcer, Kevin Kelly was out front making some pretty negative remarks about Vince triple H WWE as a whole. He did uh, an appearance on voice of wrestling radio and he said, quote, triple H is going to make sure no one gets over more than him. And if you don't have the right political clout in that company, it's going to come back to haunt you. What do you make of these comments from Kevin Kelly? Cause I know you like Kevin. Yeah, I guess Kevin didn't have the right political clout, according to his own comments. So it's, I chalk that up to being bitter for not being there anymore. Mm-hmm. Why, why did why wasn't he there anymore? Do you remember why Kevin Kelly's run came to an end? I think just looking for new and different talent and bringing in. I know Michael Cole coming in and Michael kind of taking over and just trying out new talent. A lot of times at that, I don't want to say that level, but that that level of television and that talent is currently and constantly it's, it's churned through where you're trying to find, you're trying to find that next guy. You're trying to find the next lead commentator to take you into the next generation. And that's been a constant since the day I stepped foot in this company in 1987. Well, let's talk about the pay-per-view. Here we are at judgment day, 2005. Shit. I thought we were done. We get Eminem, Mercury and nitro. Of course, Molina's here as well. They're going to pick up a win over hardcore Holly and Charlie Haas at eight minutes and two seconds. They retain the WWE tag titles here. 
the finish comes when Eminem gives Haas their double team snapshot maneuver where he gives it a star and a half. Um, I liked the tag team of Eminem and I think it was, uh, it was a good fit for these guys. What'd you think of their team, the presentation and, and this match? Well, the match was okay. The match was, was decent, but talking about Eminem in particular, uh, so good Lord ahead of their time. They were able to utilize Molina, Joey Mercury, not the biggest guy in the world. However, he was able to go out there and work his ass off and they had a great presentation, right? You had the beautiful woman in the middle in Molina and she'd come out and do the splits and everything. And then nitro just had charisma oozing out of his ass and these guys just worked. And to me, I thought that they were a fabulous tag team that could have gone, could have gone on a lot longer than they actually did. I agree because when I think about these guys individually, I still think about this tag team. Like I still like, that's my, when I think of a Joey Mercury match, I think of Eminem. And when I think of John Morrison, I think of him here as a part of this tag team. I just, I don't know. I like them, their presentation as a tag team. And I thought it worked and, uh, I wish it, I wish it had more longevity. Like you're saying. Yeah, it did work because it was effortless. They gelled together as is a team and they made it look effortless and they were in sync. So to that, sometimes you can't always put your finger on what it is about them that makes them better or worse. And that's what it was. They made it look effortless. Do you think there's any chance that one day if, you know, all everything of the timing was right. And, you know, we know that Mercury's had some ups and downs in his personal life over the years, but I think there's a chance we could see a brief reunion of Eminem one day in WWE. Never. Alrighty. No, I'd never say never. No, look, anything's possible. Everything's possible. Okay, Bruce, hang on one second. We got a, got a new sponsor here. Let me get my copy together. All right. <clears throat> you love wrestling from the eighties, nineties, and 2000. What about the pop culture from that era, including your favorite movies, TV shows, and hit music from the incredible Hulk to Hulk Hogan, the mega powers to mega man from star Wars to Starcade. saved by the pod is the premier podcast. Wrapped in both pro wrestling and pop culture. Each week, Saved by the Pod highlights a wrestling event and discusses the top songs, movies, and TV shows from that time period to give you a fully immersive pop culture experience. Saved by the Pod is also giving away cash. Wait a minute. That's right, cold hard cash every month. Plus, listen to find out how you can win two tickets to AEW's All Out in September or the next fan attended AEW pay-per-view tickets and cash. No other show is doing that. Join host Polly B along with Timmy C for a fun trip down memory lane and everyone's favorite Efren for an alternate look at the pay-per-views from the past. Why are they saying alternate look? Okay. What are you waiting for? Find them at savebythepod.com or on Twitter at savedbtpod exclamation point. I'm pretty sure the exclamation point is not supposed to be in this. 
I think that's, they just want me to be excited, right? So it's just at saved BTPOD on Twitter. Okay. Or savedbythepod.com. Not serious business. These guys are friends of mine. Uh, I am a big fan of Efren and all of his silliness. Paulie B is an OG, and I don't know who this asshole Timmy is. Uh, who'd he ever beat? But seriously, check out Saved by the Pod. Great friends of the show. Appreciate what they're doing. And if you enjoy wrestling and pop culture, it's hard to beat SavedbyThePod.com. Hardcore Holly and Charlie Haas is a tag team. I'm a big fan of Charlie Haas. Uh, it's a shame that we don't see more of him. Uh, why don't you think Charlie Haw? I mean, hardcore Holly, goddamn, feels like he was here for decades. Uh, he had a, a seemingly never ending run Charlie Haas though. Not so much. Why don't you think that was, what was Charlie missing? That wasn't WWE. Charlie, Charlie was a great wrestler and went to Seton hall was a discovery of Gerald Briscoe. And when you look at the talent that came through and came out of OVW. One of those is, is Charlie Haas and his brother, Russ Haas. And his, we lost his brother way, way too soon as well. Um, but Charlie, I think, lacked connecting to the audience. The world's greatest tag team of Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, to me, I thought those guys could go to the moon because they had credibility and nobody could touch their work in the ring. Unfortunately, when it came to telling that story and cutting that promo and making me feel for you, um, both guys just came up a little short and it was, that was difficult to sell. But when the bell rang, I thought they were excellent. And, and Charlie was one of those guys he could go in the ring just had difficulty connecting with the audience beyond that. What sucks is, I mean, we're covering this show, you know, from late May in July, Charlie and his, his real life wife, Jackie Gata, both released. Uh, of course we know she's going to go on to work for TNA. He's going to take, uh, some time to work some Indies in Oh five, but in, I don't know, the first half of Oh six, I think he's back in WWE and, and has another run. And I think. Most people are still going to remember his work with Shelton Benjamin as sort of the bright spot in his WWE run, right? Yes, without a doubt. To me, the, the world's greatest tag team at the time was the world's greatest tag team. We should mention um, Eminem had beat Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio for the tag titles when Eddie walked out on Rey, which of course sets up the match later in this show. Let's get to the next match on the card, though. Carlito, who has Matt Morgan as a second, and he's a big SOB. Uh, beats Big Show in four minutes and 40 seconds when Morgan hit the F5 on Big Show while the referee was down. Uh, prior to the match, Carlito said he talked to former Minnesota Vikings receiver Randy Moss, who told him people in Minnesota aren't cool. Of course, that's his gimmick. Three quarters of a star. Man, that feels like uh, Carlito and Matt Morgan. This is a lot of unrealized potential here. I mean, Matt Morgan had a look and a half. We know Jim Cornette uh, was absolutely in love with him. I think most people, when we see the way Carlito debuts with a win over John Cena, we assume, oh, this guy's going to be a headliner. He brushes up against Roddy Piper and Steve Austin at WrestleMania. It feels like he's poised to be the guy. And for whatever reason, it doesn't shake out. Uh, but he gets a win over Big Show here. Four minutes and 40 seconds. With a little help from Matt Morgan. What would you think of the match? And what can you tell us about uh, Carlito and Matt Morgan? 
Yeah, the match was what it was. It wasn't anything to write home about. But when you look at the career of Carlito, look, Carlito made his own way, and, and he was happy doing what he does without having to deal with the, the corporate day-to-day of being in a large company. And Carlito was one of those guys that he could have had it all. He had the talent. He had the look. He had the gift of gab. And could have gone as far as he wanted to go. And that was up to him. And I think that he just didn't want to deal with the rules, as you say, Um, but had the potential, definitely had all the tools. Matt Morgan looked great. Looked great. Backstage, Charmel was ranting about Kurt Angle's disrespectful treatment the previous few weeks, and Charmel had received a gift of lingerie, which she thinks is from Booker T, but Booker says it's not from him. And then Charmel pulls a pair of handcuffs out of the gift bag. Of course, Booker is furious and says he's going to take care of things. This is, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, next awesome. Up- <laughs> We got Paul London beating Chavo Guerrero in 10 minutes and 41 seconds to retain the cruiserweight title. The finish came when London blocked a top rope move by Guerrero and then connected with a 450 splash. Wade would say it was an above average match, but at just 10 minutes and not really long enough to be a standout memorable match. He gave it two and a half stars. Chavo Guerrero. We spent a lot of time talking about here on the show, but Paul London, man, you want to talk about underrated. This guy was one of my absolute favorites to watch when he was on the Indies and ring of honor and the like. Uh, and it felt like you guys were going to go with him a few times here, but we don't get a ton of traction, but he does pick up a win here with Chavo and he's retaining the cruiserweight title. What kept Paul from leveling up and being a breakout star? Like I assumed he was going to be. I think more than anything, Paul was his own worst enemy in that. He didn't take it seriously at the time and thought that, you know, it was all kind of a game because he had the talent, he had the personality. And if he had just channeled that at the time, I think that Paul could have been one of the biggest stars in the industry because you just, you look at him and you talk to him. He's, he's got it. He's definitely got it, but he's also got something else that prevents him from taking it beyond a certain point. So that one was disappointing because Paul London had all the gifts of being a truly great performer in every aspect of the game. It just wasn't able to pull it all together at the same time. And at the right time, how much of that do you think is just, he was so good. So young, it was just immaturity. I mean, I don't say, I'm not saying that to be negative on him. I'm just saying he's just now 40 and we're talking about something that happened 15 years ago. I think he signed with you guys in like Oh three. Um, and he's gone by Oh eight, but it's still, you know, he's, he's in his early twenties. When he comes in, he's in his mid to late twenties. When he leaves it, was it just too much too soon? You think? And, and he didn't know really what he had at the time. And cause you said the phrase didn't take it seriously. Is that just a lack of maturity? Cause he has the moves. He has the look. I mean, he has the presentation, it feels like it checks a lot of boxes for this guy's going to be a big star. It definitely chalks it all up to immaturity 
And I think that's just what it was. And, and some guys never grow up. I was accused of that for many, many years until, you know, reality slaps you in the face. Well, it's worth you know, you don't want to grow up, but sometimes you have to grow up. You know, you got to appreciate too. And again, I don't even really know Paula. We've traded emails twice, I think, but this is a guy who had a ton of talent at a very young age for something he was very passionate about. And now he's probably making more money than he ever has. And he's on TV and he's got a little bit of fame and celebrity and he enjoys the, the in-ring wrestling matches and he can do a great job there, but there's more to it than that to be successful in WWE. You've got a, you know, we talked a little bit about how corny maybe struggled to assimilate to the corporate culture. That's probably more what we're talking about. It's the outside, like when the camera's off and you're outside of the ring, it's that type of stuff. Maybe that kept Paul under, and I'm not saying he had a reputation as a party or anything, but maybe the office didn't feel like he took this that seriously. Is that the gist? Well, I don't think he did. And, and again, I don't know what the office thought. I know that I didn't think that he took things seriously enough because again, he had the world by the balls and could have used it to his advantage and done just about anything that he wanted to do. And sometimes when it was nut cutting time, he, he would choose to, to laugh at it and not go. And there's a time to have fun and play ha ha, but there's also a time to, to just go. Let me ask, how would you sort of compare and contrast his personality with that of say a Rob Van Dam, who we know has been, uh, criticized over the years for being more aloof and just sort of meh. Rob wasn't, Rob wasn't aloof when it came to business and, and Rob took his business seriously. And as aloof as Rob is, Rob took himself seriously. So that that's that's the difference to me in a nutshell. Backstage, we see Booker T uh, walking through the Target Center, trying to find Kurt Angle uh, after many unsuccessful attempts trying to get information from Angle uh, or about Angle from various wrestlers. The camera goes back to Booker's locker room, where now Kurt Angle has snuck up behind Charmel, and uh, he's telling her that. Uh, she could find him anywhere. And then angles music comes on the PA system and that prevents, uh, further advancements by angles or by angle. So the, uh, the next match of course is Kurt angle and Booker T we should give you sort of the backstory, I guess on the April 28th, SmackDown angle Booker T big show and JBL take part of a fatal four way to determine the number one contender for the WWE championship. Of course, we know JBL wins. Uh, he's going to get a shot on this very show. And during the match, Angle hits Booker T with a chair to eliminate him. And then Booker T comes back and hits Angle with a chair to cause him to be eliminated. So the following week, Angle challenges Booker T to a match here at Judgment Day, which Booker accepts. But prior to that, Angle had insulted Booker T's wife, Charmel, which leads to Booker T attacking and accepting Angle's challenge. And then on the May 12th SmackDown, <laughs> Kurt Angle admits he would like to have quote unquote perverted sex with Charmel. Uh, the same night angle and Booker T were scheduled to be in a match, which led to angle leaving the ring and going backstage to Charmel Booker goes backstage and finds Charmel on the floor crying. This leads to an angle where, uh, or this leads to a spot where angle would then attack Booker T from behind and push him towards a bunch of steel lockers. And then the following week, Teddy long is scripted to suspend angle and demand that angle apologize for his actions. Of course, Kurt apologizes, but admits he actually kissed Charmel 
and let her fondle his private parts before Booker T made his way to the locker room. Booker T of course kicks the TV monitor and breaks it. This is uh well interesting. What can you tell us about uh, perverted sex and fondling private parts? Well, it was a little bit different time then, and uh, you could <laughs> you could uh, go a little more graphically than you you can these days. So, yeah, it was it was just definitely a different time, and it was something that that we tried and and got out there with. And look, Booker and Charmel were cool with it, and Kurt and uh, Karen, they were all cool with it. So just try it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a love triangle in Kurt Angle's mind. And Kurt was infatuated with Charmel. Dude, so, I just, I just can't imagine, you know, I was, I grew up a little kid going to WWE shows and loving WWE. And I can't imagine being a dad in the crowd and you're taking your little kid and Daddy, what's perverted sex? Well, stick around, son. Ask your mother when we get home. Yeah. Uh, but even though you're saying it's a different time, we're still careful to sort of, I mean, we're not being explicit. We're, we're using really unique terms, fondle private parts. Like nobody. Hey, I mean, when's the last time you like texted Mrs. Pritchard? Like, Hey, when I get home, I need you to fond of my private parts and she replied oh shit yeah i'm so excited for some perverted sex i don't think i've ever texted that <laughs> that's my point nobody talks like this this is suffering succotash like fondle private parts my goodness who booked this shit bruce <sighs> you never fondled your private parts i don't call it that you play with your goddamn dick penis please <laughs> i i just feel like uh this feels like a vinceism and maybe vince didn't write it but i just imagine that booming voice ha ha received some fellatio last night boys <laughs> who says that fondle private part what are you talking about yeah well Different time. Once upon a time, you would have taken a cue there and you would have done eventsism for me, but let's move on. Booker T Burt beat Kurt angle 14 minutes, 11 seconds. <laughs> oh my God. The irony Booker T wins with a small package that comes out of the Hey, that's on him, man. That's on him. <laughs> a small package that comes out of nowhere. That's the exact verbiage used in the torch. After the match, Angle attacked Booker. I bet it is. And, <laughs> and tried to handcuff Charmel to the ropes. However, Booker prevented the deed and handcuffed Angle to the ropes. After building up anticipation, Charmel slaps Angle over and over until she finally kicks him in the crotch. Angle sank to his knees and cried in the corner. A very good 14 minute match. Three and a half stars. You know, I kind of dig this. Like, the way we get here with some of the verbiage is sort of silly, funny, ha ha, but man, it's relatable from a storyline standpoint. Hey man, this guy's messing with my wife. I'm going to kick his ass, but then the finish is a small package. 
I don't know. What say you? What'd you think? Small package will beat anybody out of nowhere. I ought to know. Is that in your dating profile? <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, I ought to know. <laughs> you should. Oh yeah. man. There's so many good jokes that I can't tell right now, but, um, let What'd you think of the match though? I mean, listen, they get plenty of time. I thought the match is excellent. Yeah. I mean, storyline aside, this to me feels like, and I know that, you know, we're going to get shit on and criticize a little bit, but Booker T didn't exactly have the easiest transition when he first came over to WWE. It took a while for him to sort of find his footing and, and get a rhythm. I mean, he really had to sort of start over and I know along the way he's going to be positioned with stone cold and things like that, but. I feel like this, around this era and, and beating a guy like Kurt Angle here on pay-per-view, this is when Booker T starts to find his WWE footing and become a top guy for the company. Would you agree? Yeah, but I, I, I think it was even before this, and Booker T, to me, as I've always said, is the only guy that came from WCW that was able to make it here. Sure. And so he, he was already on his way, but he took every opportunity and made the absolute most out of it. All right, check it out, guys. We want to tell you about a great new sponsor here on the show. It's VOC Nation. They're one of the longest running weekly podcast networks. Starting 10 years ago, back in 2010, VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, in the room featuring pro wrestling illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum, the maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. And these guys have had incredible guests recently. General Adnan, Tito Santana, Haku, Earl Hebner, dangerous, Danny Davis, Jimmy Hart, Ricky steamboat, Brodus clay, and so many more former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez will be starting a live streaming interactive podcast on VLC nation called Shelly live. And you can look for that on Tuesdays at 6 PM. Eastern. There's also a ton of uh, archived content. That's absolutely free. It's got great interviews from the past with Hulk Hogan and Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, sting, Mick Foley, Joey styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at vocnation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC nation radio network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Nation. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. It's worth mentioning here. He's only here like 39 or 40 years old. So, uh, he still, uh, got a lot of gas left in the tank. And I mean, these are two all timers, two bona fide hall of famers without a doubt. And when they get 14 minutes on pay-per-view, they're going to have a good match. I mean, that's, that's bankable storyline. You know, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, next up, Orlando Jordan and Heidenreich. Four minutes, 52 seconds to retain the United States title. Orlando Jordan picks up the win. Um, uh, Wade would say the finish came when Jordan penned Heidenreich following a DDT. And after the loss, Heidenreich was consoled by his friend Alex, who sat ringside during the match. Wade would say passable action, three and a quarter stars. This is where, to me, it starts to feel a little hodgepodge. 
like Orlando Jordan had a, had a cool look work was fine for whatever reason. Wasn't quote unquote over with the fans. Heidenreich feels like just right out of the book of bad ideas and them having a United States title match here on pay-per-view. Woof. Who booked this shit, Bruce? Yeah. Woof is a good way to describe it. You know, Heidenreich had the look, the size uniqueness all about him that screamed star, but you know, John just couldn't put it all together. Same thing with Orlando Jordan. I would put this match. When you look at this match, you'd label it potential and neither guy, in my opinion, reached their potential, but they had, they had the tools to do it. But just couldn't, you know, couldn't seal the deal. So to speak. It's funny because you, you look at this card as a whole and you see what looks like to me, a company that's still trying to find its identity. Um, you know, no longer do we have the rock and stone cold. Um, we, we don't want to position ourselves as blood and guts, but our main event is going to be awfully gory. We've said that ECW is a dead brand, but we're just a few weeks away from their pay-per-view return but it was on the heels of the success of the DVD. So we're following our good business sense to say, Hey man, the fans are buying that. Let's do more of that based on those DVD sales. But you just feel like, Oh man, Eminem, this could be a new thing. And Hey, Carlito, he could be our next big thing. And Oh, Matt Morgan. That's exactly what Vince looks for. And Paul London's got a lot of indie stuff, man. Let's, let's leverage that. And now we're even getting some steam on Booker T and we're trying to do a little attitude eras type stuff with the whole fondling and all that stuff. And Oh, Heidenreich, man, he checks all the boxes that Vince looks for. It just feels like we're trying to find, and you've said before, and, and I know you get annoyed when I bring it up, but once upon a time, somebody said, Vince just needs a hit. It feels like in this era, we're trying to give as many opportunities as we can. And I'm sure some wrestlers just rolled their eyes when I said that, but we're trying things we might not normally try just to look for something, anything that really hits. And even if it means experiments with guys like Nathan Jones or Heidenreich or Matt Morgan, who seemingly have the quote unquote McMahon look, we're just going to roll the dice and, and see what sticks. Would you say that's a fair assessment of the company here in 05? It was a rebuilding phase and it was a phase of trying to get a lot of new talent over at the same time. And that's difficult to do. Um, the spotlight, the more that you widen the spotlight, the less light that you have to shine on your stars. And when that spotlight widens, it takes away from your stars. But we were trying, yes, we were trying to put whatever new that we could out there and see what the hell sticks and hope something's going to hit along the way. Let's, um, let's take a minute here to sort of piggyback what you're saying, because I like the phrase you use there rebuilding because in a sports franchise, that's definitely the term. How many times do you think since you've been with the company, y'all had to quote unquote rebuild Would the first time be after Hogan? Yeah. Several times where you, you know, whether it be a big star, major star like Hogan leaving or injuries and just, you know, time. You, you can reach a time where you think, oh, shit, this is going good. And, and you ride that sometimes a little too long when you realize that 
oh, fuck, man, maybe I should have done something different here or I should have seen it coming. You know, you think you see the end coming. Um, yeah, we've rebuilt, tried to rebuild several times, and that's always going to be the case. Even when you're hot, even when everything is working on every cylinder, you still need to be looking at building and rebuilding and what's next. Because if you're not, you get slapped in the face with the what's next, motherfucker, and you're stuck trying to catch up instead of being ahead of the curve. And we've been caught a few times. You know, I know it's a different thing because we're in the middle of a pandemic and we don't normally talk about current stuff, but do you think WWE just by nature of the pandemic is in a rebuilding phase right now? I mean, it feels like all of wrestling kind of is right. I think that, yeah, we're, we're in uncharted waters right now and trying to figure out as, as everybody goes. So that's very similar to, to the time, much like in the early two thousands where you're now looking without that mega star on top and, and who's going to be that next mega star and asking that question and trying to get as many different samples of, of so that people can sample a lot of different things and see what they like. What do you, what do they want to eat every week? So th- that's just an ongoing process of business in general. If you want to stay in business. Let's, uh, let's briefly put a bow on this and then we'll move on to the next match. Alex, what's the gimmick here with Alex consoling Heidenreich? What can you tell us about this? A bad idea. It just, it was trying to give Heidenreich more personality and to try to have the audience care about someone who may be a little off kilter. But I don't think it was a good idea, and I don't think it. I don't think anybody bought it, and or most importantly, cared. Let's uh, let's move along. Let's talk about the next match. It's Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. It's a rematch from WrestleMania, where of course Rey won. In the weeks that followed, Guerrero and Mysterio were challenged by Eminem for the tag titles, which Guerrero and Mysterio accept. And Eminem defeat him to win the tag titles after Guerrero walked out in the middle of the match. Fast forward to late April and Guerrero and Mysterio are given a rematch for the tag titles on SmackDown. But during the match, Mysterio accidentally performs a flying body press on Guerrero, which leads to Guerrero abandoning Mysterio. Uh, but he returns as the fans urge Guerrero to come back and Eminem retains the belt after pinning Mysterio. And then the following week, Teddy long books, a street fight between Mysterio and Chavo Mysterio wins the match. And after the match, Mercury and nitro attack Mysterio, which prompts Guerrero to come out and clear the ring. Guerrero, however, attacks Mysterio and this assault leads Guerrero to lift Mysterio off the ground and then drive his back into the ring steps, which is Eddie's heel turn. So now we've got a match here, Ray Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. They're going to get a ton of time, 18 minutes, 35 seconds, but it goes to a DQ with Ray picking up the win because Eddie hits Ray with a chair. And after the match, Eddie would attack Ray with repeated chair shots before leaving the ring with an icy stare into space. A great match. He says, and he also says the finish wasn't great, but for a first grudge match between the two, it's not bad booking. He gave it four stars. 
Bruce, what'd you think? Motherfucker, if that had been, if, if you could have possibly held that match in a bull ring in Mexico, it would have been like 700 tacos. Score. My goodness. What's wrong with you? What? Listen, I, excellent I, match. Excellent, excellent, yes. excellent, excellent, excellent match. Um, and seriously, if you had held that fucking match in Mexico city, Oh, good Lord. Man. It was, it was a great match. Um, four stars. I thought it was tremendous, but I do want to ask, when did you guys have the Dominic idea in mind? I mean, we know where that's, that's where this is ultimately going right about this time. Um, Eddie's book had come out and Eddie had talked about having a, a child out of wedlock when he was separated from Vicky and, and during some dark times. So there was a lot of speculation out there and, and people, this, you know, revelation and, and so on and so forth. So in talking to Vicky, I approached Vicky first and just asked how she would feel if we, if we went down that road and, you know, she was cool with it. And next step was to, to Ray and Eddie. And, um, then of course, Ray's family and everybody was cool. And I, and I just kept cautioning, uh, every step of the way, guys, this is real life. And we're, we're talking about something that, that really happened and, you know, no one was named and, and Dominic is a kid and he's gonna, he's gonna have to deal with this in life and at school with his friends and, and their parents and everybody else. I said, you're all going to be put in a, in a story, a fictional story based on a real life event that they don't have all the information on the real life situation. They just have a piece of it. And we're going to expound on that, giving them that piece that's fiction. But you never know, you know, how people could take it. And uh, it was risky, but I thought that it just added, uh, even more of a personal issue between Ray and Eddie. And it was something that I think I thought everybody could relate to. Let's get to the next match. It's our main event as an I quit match for the WWE title. It's John Cena defending against a former champion, JBL. Cena, of course, won the title from JBL at WrestleMania a few months earlier, but this is really the story of, uh, of JBL as a, as a main eventer to me, but he's really helping, you know, shine up John Cena in the process. I mean, John Cena just won his first world title at WrestleMania and JBL helped make him. It's, uh, this is, this is old school wrestling here on the April 7th, SmackDown, Teddy long schedules, a series of number one contender matches. As we said earlier. JBL, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, Big Show, Booker T, and Kurt Angle are all demanding a shot. The first match is JBL Mysterio. Mysterio gets DQ'd because Eddie interferes and attacks JBL. Uh, we also get, and then the following week, man, we're back at it again. 
Um, this time we've got Grail and Kurt Angle scheduled for a second contenders match. Angle wins, advances to the finals, and later during the program, Cena unveils the spinner version of the WWE Championship, which we've talked about that uh, neither one of us were really fond of, and it was super gimmicky, but you guys sold an absolute shit ton of replicas, and it was a cash cow. On the April 21st SmackDown, Booker T and SmackDown, <laughs> easy for me to say, Booker T and Big Show, or double DQ'd in their match. So Teddy Long books JBL, Kurt Angle, Booker T, and Big Show in a fatal four-way match for the following week. And JBL wins the match after he pins Angle and gets the rematch with Cena at Judgment Day. Uh, on May the 5th, that episode of SmackDown, Cena would say he would defend the championship against JBL in an I Quit match. So uh, we don't see that very often here. And I wonder why you guys went with an I Quit match here, Bruce natural progression and you've had it. And I think that this is a way kind of a blow off for Cena to be the motherfucking man and have a solid victory over a top heel and Layfield at this point, JBL that was the top heel. So for John to be John Cena to be in that position to defeat a top heel in a very decisive way, you know, it's it's finite an I quit match. So we were there and it was doing two things. It was cementing JBL as a heel and putting that stamp of let's go to the fucking moon with Cena. You know, listen, what people remember most about this match and don't get me wrong. It is a good match, but what people remember most about this is the gusher, an absolute gusher that John Cena bleeds here. And there's something about JBL at judgment day, because you go back and you look at the bloodiest match Eddie Guerrero ever had, at least that I remember was judgment day. Oh, four. So one year ago, JBL, Eddie Guerrero main event, man, just a soaked mat. And he's just bleeding his heart out. Same thing here with John Cena. Uh, the finish comes when Cena stalks JBL with an exhaust pipe, uh, prompting JBL to quit the match for good measure. Cena used the pipe to throw JBL through the judgment day set, finishing off the challenger. Cena began bleeding very heavily at the beginning of the match. JBL bled later in the match after going head first through a TV monitor, very entertaining, realistic brawl. They use the props in a realistic, not sensational manager. Manner. That report is all from uh, the torch. 22 minutes, 40 seconds, four and a quarter stars. Dude, what in the world? What type of main event is this? What'd you think? Gruesome. And I thought it was excellent. Uh, I, I really thought it was excellent because it told an old school, old fashioned type of story of good conquering evil. And to me, they did it to perfection. Uh, not crazy about the blood. I, I never, you know, I, I reached a point somewhere in my life and my career where that much blood just wasn't a fan of it because when you become attached to people, the human being, and, and you just worry. And um, so not a fan of that much blood, although in in this case, I think the is our friend would say the emotionality they, 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 of it helps. So it did help for the emotion of the match. Uh, 
goddamn, man. I, to me, this is where you saw that John Cena was for real. He fought. He he fought. He worked. He got. He told that story in that match, and you cared. So I thought it was pretty damn cool. And in, in one of those finite points in a rivalry that just rubber stamped everybody in the right way. I, I know you didn't like it, but I did love it. I thought it was a huge spectacle. I think when it's, when it's done sparingly, it's awesome. I realize you know, we know a lot more now and, and don't think it's necessary, but this is an old match. This is 15 years ago. It was a quote unquote different time, but man, this is blood and guts. If, if you like old school wrestling, this is about as old school wrestling as you can get, right? Without a doubt. And I mean, it, it gives you everything that you want from that dastardly, snidely whiplash heel to the all American baby face and John Cena and blood guts and cars, <laughs> everything to go with it. What's crazy is I, I feel like the two most memorable matches that JBL ever had. Uh, as singles matches, you know, when he's a, a top heel or whatever, or both bloodbaths, uh, Eddie Guerrero judgment day of four and John Cena judgment day of five. Would you agree? Yes, I would. And I think that, uh, JBL would probably agree that you needed all that blood. I don't think you did, but maybe at the time it was the right thing to do. John Cena is uh, a more modern era performer. Uh, this is old school to be bleeding buckets like this. Any hesitation on John's end? Do you think he overdid it? No. I mean, I, I think they both did what they thought they needed to do. And I think they, they both felt that they did the right thing. What's, what's the mood after a match like this, when these performers come back through the curtain, you know, we've seen the, the quote unquote gorilla position where Vince sits in some more recent WWE documentaries in the last few years. When, when guys come back through the curtain after literally li leaving it all in the ring, what's the re what's the, the mood in the room with Vince and those performers? Uh, I think it's elation and relief that everybody's okay. And then the, the very next thing that you've got to do is you got to make sure to go get them taken care of and go get them checked out by medical. For me, I can tell you it's relief and it's just make sure that uh, everybody's okay. We should mention uh, on the June 6th raw Cena would be drafted to raw Batista, who was the world champion is drafted to SmackDown. So the title switch with them. So now WWE has the WWE or raw has the WWE title and SmackDown has the world title. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it another time, but what'd you think of the old switcheroo of let's get Cena off SmackDown and on to raw. Was that decision prompted by the news that SmackDown was moving to a new night? Or what was the rationale in, in, in making that switch? The rationale was now that Cena was made to be able to take it to the next level and take him over to Raw and get him on Raw. It was a way to take both talent, uh, Cena and Batista, and now you guys are anointed. Now let's, let's go and start on fresh new ground. Um, I think that both sides were pretty damn, damn happy. It's an even swap. It wasn't like, oh, fuck, we lost Cena. Or, oh, fuck, we lost Batista. It was, oh, hey, man, new, new canvas to paint on. 
Right. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, you said something there and maybe it's just a cliche that everybody uses us included. You said it helped get Cena to the next level in your mind. I'm not saying in Vince's mind, but in your mind in 05 raw was still the a show. Uh, I think, you know, raw is always going to be the, the flagship, the flagship. There you go. So, yeah, I think that that was a big deal. However, at the same time, being on network television, that does make a difference. And UPS, small as it may have been, was still network TV. I love, I know you meant UPN, but it tickles me that it was UPS the way you said it. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, where do you rate uh, Judgment Day 05? Uh, about a six. Yeah, I might go a, a little higher than that just because. I enjoyed Eminem. I thought the, uh, the Kurt angle Booker T match was really well done. I really enjoyed a and uh, Eddie and Ray. And then the main event, I mean, I'm, I might go like eight on this. I really thought this was a good pay-per-view, a bit of a sleeper show, if you will. Yeah. I just, you know, it, it was a lot of rebuilding for me and a lot of new and, and not as much, not as much story as I would have liked. We, uh, we took to Twitter and said on an upcoming something to wrestle, we're covering judgment day from May 22nd, 2005, have a question, leave them in the replies and use the hashtag ask Bruce. And I encourage you, if you haven't already follow us on Twitter at Pritchard show, he is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad, but you need to follow at Pritchard show to keep up with what's going on on the show. Uh, we got tons of replies. I'm going to pick a handful here. Bruce, are you ready? You get six. Okay. Captain Zach wants to know, seeing how Eddie Guerrero is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, did Bruce prefer him as a heel or a baby face? He did both so well. He did do both so well. Uh, Eddie, Eddie and I probably both preferred heel. Really? Yeah. I thought he was a great it, baby Because face. he was, he was just so natural as a heel. Great baby face. That's what I say. That one's a hard one to pick. But if you're asked what I preferred, I preferred him as a heel. Phil Snowden has a follow-up question that I know everybody, I mean, we got this question a ton in the comments, but I know based on the long pause earlier, everybody's going to want to follow up. Matt Morgan had a good run in TNA. How come we didn't have quite the same success in WWE? And it feels like we got that question a thousand times, even from Phil he says, Matt Morgan hasn't been discussed a lot on the show. Would love to hear Bruce's thoughts on why it didn't pan out. He had the size. He had a good look. It looked like he had the ability to be a major star. Was he just missing it? Matt Morgan was missing it. And I, you know, I don't know if I would agree with the sentiment that he had a great run in TNA. I think that they kind of ran into the same problems that everyone else did. Look, Matt's a great guy. Um, He's a fucking like, mayor now, by the way. Oh, well, there you go. Um, but he, you know, he's, he's a super nice guy. I just don't know as far as if you were to build your prototypical talent, would you use him as a mold? Yeah, sure you would. Um, but I just think he was missing it in that whatever it takes to take it to the next level for him. It's, um, it's something that a lot of people in our comments, uh, or, or the, the follow-up questions for this want to know about lots of little details about him. Like what was the story with Matt Mark, Matt Morgan using the F five on big show. Of course, this is Brock Lesnar's finisher. 
He left the company at WrestleMania the prior year. He's not yet returned. Was the thinking, Hey, he's gone. We can give it to somebody else. Or was there a hope that maybe this could turn into something? It was more, more than anything. Nobody else is using it right now. And let's good God getting the F five from that big bastard is, (laughs) has got to be harrowing. So it was to put it out there and see if it could stick. One of the other, I mean, again, I know that we're just loading up on the Matt Morgan questions, but every other question feels like they're asking about Matt Morgan's stuttering. I guess he has a degree in public speaking. Um, but his stuttering gimmick, who, who, uh, who saddled him with this? Well, it was a way to make him different in a way for people to care about him and to get him to a point where the audience really wanted to, to help him along and, and, just be able to be a part of his gimmick. It didn't work out. And it's look, if you, if you're not trying and you're not out there trying new shit, then nothing's going to work. Two last questions. Then we'll wrap it up. Uh, Rory wants to know who designed the spinner championship belt and how many rejected versions were there before the final design? Bruce, I know you weren't in the nuts and bolts of that, but is this a concept that you think WWE had and took to Joe Marshall, the, the belt maker known as Jamar? Or is this something to the best of your recollection that he brought and said, Hey, what about this? It was John Cena's idea. A spinning John- championship. You were, you mean? Yes. Yeah. And he, he did it with the U S championship first. And right. it was Cena's idea to, to try and do something different and the, with an eye towards merchandising. So it was obviously a pretty damn good idea that, that panned out worked very well. Last one. Uh, and, and this is about your old pal, JBL Braden wants to know oh, where does JBL rank amongst the greatest heel WWE champions? So we're not saying where is he all time as WWE champion. We know that all the babyface champions are going to fill the top of that list. But as far as a just straight shit heel, where's JBL on the list? Probably top one or two. Oh shit. I really thought you were going old school. I'm going to say top five, top five, uh, uh, but, but really top one or two because he was so despised and JBL was, was a heel at heart and he wasn't a tweener. Who, who else would you put in that category? You said one or two. So you've got somebody else in mind. I think that, you know, going back and I was going way back in time to superstar Billy Graham, frankly, because I thought superstar was the quintessential heel champion. And he had come from an era of all babyface champions in this territory and held it for a while. So he had a prolonged run as a heel champion and cause he was the first. So I put superstar and JBL up at the top, man. It's uh, this is fine. This is why I enjoy doing these old shows with you next week though we're doing something totally different we're gonna visit hornswoggle uh he's already texted me uh he's shocked that we're covering an entire episode on just his career and says he can't wait for us to say oh it's gonna be a short show yeah Uh, the little bastard texted me late last night to tell me the same thing (laughs) what do you uh What do you think we'll talk about next week when we talk about Hornswoggle in WWE?
that little bastard. Um, yeah, we're just going to talk about what a little bastard he is. Uh, no, Dylan Postle's a great guy, and, and we can talk about I tell you one thing we got to bring up is the time that he positively, absolutely positively shit the bed uh, opening up for us in New Orleans. <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear about luggage carts and uh, oh, a, a, a drinking situation with the Undertaker. There's so much meat on the bone, but yeah, it will probably be a short show. Next week, it's all about Hornswoggle. Uh, and then we're going to cruise on into June and here's, let me give you a quick rundown of what we have in the hopper for you in June. We're going to talk about ECW one night stand 2005. We're going to talk about Jacques Rougeau. We're going to hit up earthquake and of course, vengeance 2005. And at some point, stay tuned. We're going to sprinkle that first in your house episode on you. As you've heard very detailed in this particular episode, Bruce is, uh, burning it at both ends, but we are going to fit it in. It is going to happen. Uh, and of course you'll get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. Don't forget to pick up a t-shirt over at brucepritchard.com. And don't forget when you order a shirt, you get a shirt. Uh, he is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Shaka. Hey, and before I let you go, I want to remind everybody that you could get these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. We heard you. Some of our shows are pretty popular with advertisers. And uh, if you want to avoid all those commercials, you can do that over at adfreeshows.com. But more importantly, you get a ton of bonus content. For instance, we covered WrestleMania eight, one of our most requested topics here on something to wrestle, but Bruce wasn't there. Uh, he still was able to give you his insight on what happened, what should have happened, what could have happened and why that super match with Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan didn't happen. Our single most requested topic we've ever had here though, is of course the plane ride from hell. And again, Bruce wasn't there, but Jr. was at an adfreeshows.com. You get Jr.'s testimony about what really happened on that plane. He was on that flight and he has a famous line where he says, you know, when that plane took off, Mr. Perfect had a job. You don't want to miss that. And there's a ton of other great content there. We watch old wrestling with Arn Anderson. What we watched where him and Tully won the tag titles and to hear Arn sort of break that down and discuss it and his first and only NWA title shot on pay-per-view, just an absolute blast. We had a lot of fun revisiting some old Mid-South with Jim Ross. And of course, Eric Bischoff told the real story about why he got fired by WWE. And we get in the Wayback Machine and talk about Eric's early fandom when we covered an old AWA pay-per-view in the dying days of AWA when he was still a C-team announcer. Now, there's just so much extra bonus content. I can't recommend it enough. Go check it out. It's adfreeshows.com. You get these shows early and ad-free, and we're constantly looking at new ways to innovate new content for you right now, including, and Eric is having a lot of fun with this, something he's calling Context is King where he breaks down the storytelling structure and nature of these more cinematic experiences we've seen from WWE this year. Of course, they covered the Boneyard match. They also covered the more recent Money in the Bank match, but maybe what he had the most fun with, the Firefly Funhouse match, which we all know Bruce was involved in, even though we won't talk about it here on the show. Get all of that stuff over at adfreeshows.com, including the new video series, On the Road Again. And this has been something I wanted to do for a long time. We as wrestling fans have heard for years that business is done in the bar, but you learn to hone your craft in the car. Back in the day, in the territory days, guys had long car rides together, and that's where they would sort of rebook the territory and talk about the little nuanced things 
about the business. Well, what if you could sort of hop in the car with those guys? That's exactly what we did with Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. Very recently, Jim flew from Oklahoma City to Atlanta. JR was then picked up by Tony Schiavone, who had mounted a couple of cameras on the dash, and they headed for Jacksonville. We chopped it up, and now we're rolling it out into a fun little series that we're calling On the Road Again. It's exclusive to adfreeshows.com. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. It's adfreeshows.com. It starts at just nine bucks a month. You don't want to miss it. And by the way, the top tiers, we're going to do a get together once this pandemic is over. And we're going to have a lot of the hosts here. Uh, of course, Jim Ross will be here. Eric Bischoff will be here. Arn Anderson's going to be hanging out. It should be a lot of fun. You don't want to miss it. It's adfreeshows.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.